Welcome to the Christian Coach Podcast, where our mission is to serve coaches through conversations so they can lead like Jesus. I'm Gian Lemmy, and today's guest is author and pickleball player, John huh. Acuff. Hey, John. Yeah, that, that might be an exaggeration. I've played a couple <laughs> times. I mean, I'm dominant, don't get me wrong, but I don't know about if that's in my title. That's fine. John, John, thank you so much for taking the time um, to talk. Our first question is always, what does it mean to you to be a Christian coach? Um, well, I mean, my one of my favorite uh, parables is when the landowner gives out the talents. And so he gives five, two and one and the five and the two guy, it says they immediately put them to work. They double them. They come home. There's a huge party. And then one person buries them. So part of my approach to coaching is I try to help people find a shovel. I think a lot of people have buried their talents. And so part of what I like to do is say, no, let you're capable of so much more. Let's grab a shovel and go dig that up and do something with it and have a party when we get back. Yeah. When did you figure out that analogy for yourself and in the business now? I'd probably say over the last couple of years, I mean, I've always, I've always been engaged in goals and self-performance at least the last 20 years or so. Um, and I really started to see other people struggle with a lot of the same things I was struggling with. So then I, I really believe that changing your life goals, high performance, whatever, always starts with self. There's something you want to change. And then it always leads to service. So in a healthy way, you go, wow, I want to help other people do this. Or, wow, I can't believe this existed. It's kind of like when you watch an amazing movie, you want to tell a friend like, oh, you've got to see this. Like when you hear an amazing song, you say, oh, you've got to hear this song. So when you change some part of your life with a goal, um, with some technique, I think you, you, honestly want to help other people experience it too and for me that be, just became a driving passion that's awesome that's awesome now let's go back to your childhood sure john have a nickname no i mean people called me a cuff like my okay. my last name is kind of distinctive so they just called me a cuff like nobody nobody in matt like i remember in high school or even in elementary school, there was no cell phones. So friends would call the house and go, is Acuff home? And they'd be like, I'm sorry, I mean, John, because we are all Acuffs there. So yeah, Acuff was all people called me. <laughs> okay. Now let's, so then let's talk about your, your childhood, your upbringing. Your dad was yeah. a pastor. Mm -hmm. So how was that upbringing like, and how did that shape your faith? Well, I think, I mean, it, one of the things that shaped is how I communicate. So my dad planted a Southern Baptist church in New England in the 1980s. So he planted in Massachusetts, which was unheard of at the time. There weren't a ton of Southern Baptist churches in Massachusetts. So I got to watch him communicate in a unique way because there was no cultural Christianity. In the South where I live now, you can assume a lot of your neighbors have gone to Sunday school. Like when I say like the prodigal son, that's a phrase that means something. But if you in New England, where it's largely unchurched, um, that, you know, you don't get to kind of skate on cultural Christianity. So I watched my dad have to communicate with humor and metaphor in a really fun way. And that definitely impacted how I communicate now. Um, and then I think that for a pastor's kid, you always have to discover your own faith. You can't inherit faith. I can't. There was a time in my life where if somebody would say, are you a Christian? I'd go, yeah, my dad's a pastor. That's not an answer to that question. Like in the same way that like, if somebody said, are you a plumber? And you said, yeah, my dad's a plumber. That doesn't mean you're a plumber. Like you might've grown up around it, but it doesn't mean you have knowledge about it. And so eventually I think as a pastor's kid, you eventually have to wrestle with your own faith, figure out your own faith and grow in your own faith. Awesome. Awesome. That's really good. Now you, you talked a little about how 
you you started develop trying to develop a shovel for people to discover their their strengths mm-hmm. and their gifts that God has yep. given them. Mm-hmm. And ultimately it led to this forward goal system that we that we we named it the dream plan do review system. And mm-hmm. so I want to break down each one of those steps for the coaches listening because I feel like it's a great opportunity for them to develop the system when inside their own lives as well as setting team goals and and program goals for the future. You know, this podcast is coming out here in January. Yep. So we want them to be successful in 2024 individually and as a team. So can we break it down for you? Sure, sure. All right. So um, this came about with me coaching 30,000, 40,000 different people and goals. And I started to notice patterns. I think as a coach, you're always looking for frameworks. You're always looking for patterns. Um, if you're, say you're a tennis coach, you figure out, wow, this is where people struggle with their serve. Like, okay, 90% of people struggle with their serve. So if I can figure out this, I can really help a lot of people or, you know, you're a golf coach. Okay. Mindset really matters. I noticed that X amount of my players struggle with their mindset at this part of the hole or this part. So you come up with a framework. So for me, dream plan, do review came from studying, 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 real people working on real goals and and saying, okay, what are the stages they go through? Like when a successful goal happens, what have been the stages to get there? And I recognize that it all boils down to four things, the ability to do four things. One is dream. And the question you're thinking about there is what do I want to do? So what's your vision? What's, what's the big goal plan is how will I do it? So what's the strategy going to be? How, you know, how much time will I dedicate to it? What are the steps? Do is, are you doing it? Are you in motion? Are there actions? And then review is, did it work? Did what we tried actually work? And so it's interesting. I often talk about four different people struggle with four different parts of that. Dreamers struggle with the dream stage. They never get out of dream. We've all met people who have a thousand dreams and no actions. So they're great. They've got they'll have a hundred goals written down on a piece of paper. They just don't do any of them. Or they have a hundred half finished books or or half started books, half written books. They've got lots of dreams. Perfectionists struggle with plan because they say, as soon as the plan is perfect, then I'll do it. But the plan will never be perfect. You'll never, I say to people all the time, you'll never have all the information. We haven't lived in an all information world in a hundred years. You have enough and then you make a decision. That's what a coach does. And then, procrastinators struggle with doing. They never make it to the do stage because they say, I'm going to do that. Like, it's like, I'm going to do that. Like tomorrow, I'm going to do that. Later, I'm going to do that. And then hustlers like me struggle with review because review feels like a speed bump. A hustler just wants to go, 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 go. And so they don't want to stop for a review. Like a sales guy, saleswoman who's a a hustler, who's great at doing, doesn't want to put their information in the system. I know sales teams that'll say, unless it happened in Salesforce, it didn't happen. And what they're saying is, hey team, we know you're crushing sales. Unless you go back and put the information in and do all that sucky business work, you review the process, review the sale, it didn't happen. They have to force those hustlers to do a review. So those are the four stages. And that's where people tend to get stuck is in one of those where they go, I struggle with review, or maybe you run right to do. Where you see this, a really great example of that is Jenny and I, my wife, were playing um, cards the other day, this new Uno game. She got like a six pack of Uno and we never played. And she was reading the instructions and I was like, let's just figure it out as we go. And that's a hustler's attitude. 
Because what I'm saying is I don't want to dream. I don't want to plan. Planning's reading the instructions. I just want to play. Let's play and figure it out. Now that works for cards. It doesn't work for launching a podcast. It doesn't work for writing a book. And so those are the four different stages. Yeah. You've worked constantly with companies and athletic programs, high school, professional, and college sporting programs are basically companies, businesses that are just being run. Sure. What are some of the roadblocks that you see companies run to, you know, run uh, through that we can avoid now telling these coaches that they can for in the future say, okay, this is coming up. I need to be able to address it. So my, my view coaching tennis was the review process. Yeah. We had one end of the year meeting with each player. We never gave them feedback on their performance yeah. until the end of the season. And you hope they remembered what happened four months ago. Like you can't remember what you had for lunch a week ago last Monday, but you think a tennis player is going to four months later be able to like, yeah, you're right. My backhand on that one play wasn't good. <laughs> like when do NFL teams watch film every week? They don't watch, they don't watch all the games at the end of the season and do a review. Then that wouldn't serve them. They yeah. do more regular reviews. So I think regular reviews is a big part. Um, I think part of it is just knowing where you are in the phase. So like saying to a team, we're in the dream part. Like we're like, we want to have a dream conversation. So it's the beginning of the season. It's a year before the season starts. Where do you see yourself a year from now? What is that? What do you want to be true? So let's talk about your goals. Let's envision that. You don't do that in the middle of the season. You're already in doing mode. Like it's the wrong time to do that then. Like you want to do that at the beginning. And so I think sometimes even helping teams know what they're doing and go, hey, we're in planning right now. So we're in planning. Like we don't need more dreams. Like don't add more dreams. I know you're creative because you'll get players that are really artistic and they want to never stop dreaming. And you go, no, 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 no. Like, we're on game four. We're on game seven. Like we're doing, this is, we're doing and reviewing right now. We're in the middle of the season. So I think th that's what I'd say. The first thing is figure out which, um, which stage you're in. Um, and then the other thing is when you're a team, you often have team goals and you as an individual player have to understand how they apply to you. You have to personalize those. So if the team has a big goal, you have to figure out where's your role in that. So what can I do to get excited about that? Because you'll often, when you're on a team, you'll inherit a goal. When you're an individual, you can do all the dreaming yourself. I could right now say, this weekend, here's my big goal I'm going to work on. I don't, like, I get to create from a blank piece of paper. When you're part of a team, when you're part of a university, when you're part of an NFL team, you inherit some goals. So you have to figure out how do I personalize these goals I've inherited to make sure I stay engaged the entire time. So I, you know, how do I not lose motivation? There's a big roadblock for people is that they lose motivation in the middle of the season or when they hit a roadblock or something goes wrong. So a good, a good way to think about that, like, let's say you fail, like you, it just, it, you fail. Um, I love to, in that moment, remove identity and remove emotion. So if I'm going to review what happened, I can't go, I failed because I'm dumb. I failed because I don't have it together. I failed because I'll never get better. Those are all identity. Like I have to remove that. I have to go, okay, I'm putting identity aside for a minute. And then I have to go, what's the emotion that I need to remove too? And just, I want to try to get to the facts, to the data as fast as possible. 
Okay. Cause that I can change, but if my emotion is in there and I'm not saying you're unfeeling, I think feelings are great barometers. They're just not the only barometer. You know, there's, they're one of the indicators on your dash of your life, but they're not the only one. If you drive your entire car off one indicator, like say, say you drove your car off just of RPM, like the RPM measurement, and you never looked at speed, you never looked at fuel, you never looked at oil. And then like your car, your engine seizes and blows up because it doesn't have enough oil. And you're like, that's weird because I kept my eyes on the RPM the entire time. A mechanic would go, did you, did you see this bright red light that said you're out of oil? Like, did you see it? And you're like, no, I don't, I only look at one thing. <laughs> so feelings are one of the things, but yeah. data is another one of the things. So when I'm trying to assess a failure, I'm removing identity, I'm removing emotion and I'm saying, okay, what really happened? What can I do different next time? Like, so I, I would say like how we handle failure is a big part of being a team. Yeah. Yeah. And we talk about data kills denial, which prevents yeah. disaster. Yeah. So if you, and that's the thing, people don't like data because it tells the truth and we tend to not like the truth. Like I always say like, you know, the truth will set you free, but first it usually offends you. Like, <laughs> and so like people are offended by like, or, you know, think about a team, like you got the results you worked for. So then you have to wrestle with, I didn't work for the results I wanted, you know? So like you go, man, I can't believe that person did better than me. And you're like, well, they put in four times the amount of practice. So I love that you're talented. Talent's great. It's in the mix. It's in the mix, but you didn't put in the work. And so in that moment, you can't go, I didn't put in the work because I'm a huge loser. I didn't put in the work because I'll always be this way. My dad was right. Whatever the, whatever the yeah. identity stuff you have, you have to go, okay, I didn't put in the work this time. How do I put it in next time? That you can change. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, John, we're we're gearing up here to the end. I have one comment and I would like you to expand on that. I heard you talk about in another podcast and this is unrelated to what we we're just talking about, but you talked about that sometimes we ask God for a plan and a map of the yeah. future of our lives. And and you said if God gave us a map for the next 5 years of our lives, we would end up wor worshiping the map instead of the cartographer. When yeah. I heard that, it just blew my mind. Can you oh, just explain, yeah. ex expand a little bit on that? Yeah, well, God is smarter than me, obviously. <laughs> and so he knows that if I was like, God, if you'll just show me what exactly what's going to happen for the next 10 years, like I'll do that. I would then just look at that piece of paper. I wouldn't need the relationship. I wouldn't need the day by day. I wouldn't need new mercies every morning. I wouldn't need to pray without ceasing. Like I'd have my map and I would start to just study the map. So instead, it says, a friend of mine uh, talks about this, that God is a light unto your path, not a light unto your mile. Like mm. the, the verse isn't, he's a light unto your 10 miles. He's a light unto your 100 miles. And the other thing, the reality is, Gian, if God told you exactly what was going to happen, your head would explode. Like if <laughs> God told you in Brazil, hey, here's the thing. You're going to go to a school called Liberty. You're going to marry a girl there. You're going to be on staff there. You'd be like, I've never heard the word Liberty. Like you yeah. as a kid in Brazil, yeah. it wasn't like at 10, you were like had a poster of Lynchburg in your bedroom in Brazil. And we're like someday, <laughs> like all Brazilians, I'll finally yeah. make it to Lynchburg. Yeah. That's the dream. Like yeah. you couldn't have even fathomed that. So that's the other thing. There's a kindness to giving us what we can handle in the way we can handle it. Um, but yeah, I, he knows that if I got a perfect map, I would study the perfect map. <laughs> I would immediately, I would immediately abandon the relationship. Um, and he wants the relationship more than, yeah. than anything else. And so I often get day by day 
which is the only real time that exists. Like tomorrow isn't yeah. promised. Yesterday's gone. Like I got today. Like that's what I, and the more I can live in that, the easier it is to enjoy life. Yeah. In the Lord's prayer, Jesus asked for the daily bread. He didn't ask for bread for the next month. <laughs> Think about manna. Like every time the Israelites were like, let's go ahead and store up some manna. I was like, no, it rots. And so yeah. like even that, like over and over and over and over and over. I mean, feeding the 5,000 uh, people with the, the fish and loaves. It wasn't yep. like, so they brought it for the next time. Like it was a moment. <laughs> it was a moment. They didn't go, hey, we should preserve some of this in salt because this guy has huge crowds. We're going <laughs> to, this is going to be a catering problem we face for the rest of our lives. Let's just go ahead and pack this up. Like it was yeah. for that moment. That's awesome. Thank you, John. We have a tradition here where the previous guest leaves a question for the following guest without knowing yeah. who that guest is going to be. So the question that was left for you is, what was the last thing you did that you were scared to do? Um, Last thing I did that I was scared to do. So I think, you know, for me, we did a big virtual event last night. It was scary. Like I was scared of that. Like I was scared with the tech work. We had a thousand people on Zoom. Like, and so right before it started, I was like, it's of course, Nashville is super windy and super rainy. And I was like, it started like the trees outside started going crazy. I was like, Oh no. So I was like, Oh, is this going to work? Would people be engaged? We were going to take live questions from people, which when you have a thousand people, somebody in there might say something like your face is dumb. Like you don't know, like, will people show up? Like that's the other, I talked to somebody today about book signings, like how humiliating book signings usually are because they're not well attended. Like in your head, you're, you have this picture, like people are wrapped around the building and like, <laughs> it's never that way, dude. It's always like an hour of you sitting at a table while people who don't know you exist, come up and go, and they pick up your book and go, <laughs> I don't know, $11 for your life's work feels a little expensive while they hold a $9 coffee. And so like, I think so much of it is that where like you try something and you don't know if it's going to work and you're not guaranteed. But the alternative, like somebody said that to me, they're like, how do you, what do you tell people who are afraid of trying to thing or afraid of the criticism of trying to thing? And, and it's true. Like you do get criticized more when you try stuff that's brave. Like it just happens. Like I always say, I never had a one-star review written um, when I was working in a cubicle. Like I never had a stranger go online on Amazon on the world's number one website, probably yeah. as far as sales go and write John Acuff is terrible at sitting in his cubicle. Like he's <laughs> the worst employee at auto trader. He's horrible. That never happened. That only happened when I wrote a book, like it only, but I would never say I don't want one star reviews. So I won't write a book. Like the joy of writing the book far exceeds the frustration, the fear, the whatever of the one star reviews. It's not that I'm immune to them. I think, Everyone, if they're honest, can get impacted by a stranger's mean words. Like it kills me when I see somebody famous clap back. Like you'll see articles and it'll be like, yeah, I don't know. Like Kelly Clarkson claps back at troll. And <laughs> and like you see the troll. It was like a dude named Gary287 that has 40 followers on Instagram and she responded. And what like I recognize, like I have empathy for that because it's so easy you would say, well, Kelly Clarkson's worth millions of dollars. Why is yeah. she even noticing that? Because we're human. Like we're designed for social interaction and social connection. And so it's it's a challenge, but I would never give up doing what I do because of the fear 
of what somebody might say. So I think as a, as a coach, you're always doing an ROI and you're going, this is worth way more than this fear or this fear doesn't like this fear doesn't get to hold me back. Like I, I think about that all the time. Um, so yeah, that's a good question. What's the last thing I did that I was yeah. afraid of, but also part of it is like, I feel like I'm a pretty fearful person in general. Like I work really hard mm. against that. So like with that question, I'm like, man, there's like 50 things. But if I said them, people would be like, that's not scary. I'm like, it is if you have high anxiety, which I do. Um, so yeah, that that question, I was like, I could go a lot of ways with this one. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, off, off the mic, off the camera, we'll, we'll ask you, ask, you get to ask a question to the next guest so that Perfect. they don't know who asked. Um, John, how can we be praying for you? Uh, well, we're launching our youngest kid. So we're about to be empty nest. So pray I'll transition into that season. Well, like that's a new season. It's a new adventure. So pray the launch goes well and that my wife and I enjoy this new season because we're on the edge of a new one. Awesome. Awesome. And where can people find more about you? If they never heard of John Acuff, where can yeah. they find more about you? Uh, at um, is a great place. Johnnycup.com slash goals is my guaranteed goals community where I have a year long program where I help people with their goals. And then I have a podcast, um, that Gian helps with actually called yep. all it takes is a goal. And we interview people, we share ideas about the goals they're working on. And then on Instagram, I'm just at John Acuff. So I'm pretty easy to find. Awesome. Awesome. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you so much uh, for this day. Thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you that you put John in the world to to help people maximize their potential, find their potential. And Lord, uh, thank you that he's a faithful servant to you, Lord, and, and that he continues to put out great work that is inspired by you, Lord. Lord, we pray for him and Jenny as they launch their, their last child uh, into college and they'll start figuring out this new season of being empty nesters. Lord, that you give them grace with each other and that they'll they won't be afraid of taking risks since this is a new scorecard for them, Lord. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, John. And remember, coaches, that the mission field is right where you're at.